BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man, who's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie, and uh, <clears throat> I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Salt and pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells. Whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet. Maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was. Just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one. Get two. Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. Promo code JESSE. I'm about to give you a brutal, honest truth right in your face. Nancy Pelosi is sticking by her disastrous candidate. And finally... An Asian murder hornet. What does it actually feel like to be stung by one? I'll show you. All that's coming up right now on I'm Right. You're going to die. One day. You are going to die. I don't know whether coronavirus is going to get you or not, or whether it's going to be a car accident, cancer. Who knows? Maybe you're going to go bungee jumping in Mexico. Here's the truth. You're going to die. And I'm going to die. And the truth is this. Nobody in this current society seems to have an appetite for hearing that brutal truth from the people who lead them. Or maybe nobody's a bit too extreme. Not very many people seem to have an appetite for it. I'm going to play you in just a minute or so some audio from President Donald Trump. Everybody knows the disagreements I've had with these lockdowns. I disagree, I disagree strongly with them. I've disagreed with President Trump, these insane Democrat governors, Congress. I've disagreed with pretty much every elected official in the country over the past couple months. 
here's what I want from a leader, but the problem is I'm in a minority. I want to hear a leader stand up when a virus breaks out in the United States of America and say simply this, we're going to fight it as best we can. This is an extremely important problem. We're going to mobilize everything that the United States of America can possibly do to fight back and protect our citizens. However, you cannot hide in your home. We can't stash you away. We can't stop a $20 trillion economy because the fallout from stopping a $20 trillion economy is worse than anything else we could ever possibly face. So trust me, we're going to do everything we can to take out all the red tape. We're going to mobilize hospital shifts. But you, the American citizen, you have to get out there and live. The same Americans who landed on the beaches of Normandy, the Americans who landed on the moon, Americans who have dared to throw their family in a covered wagon and head out west, risking everything. That's who you have to be right now. Is it totally safe? No, you're never going to be totally safe. Safety is an illusion. But yes, there's a virus. Yes, we're going to fight it. But yes, we have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And that thing I just said that I wanted to hear from the American president, from congressmen, from senators, from governors, from mayors, not only was it not said, here's the thing that gets me. Nobody even wanted it said. They didn't. Let's just be frank about it. Or at least not many people. You probably did. I did. But the American people, I'm still looking at the poll numbers. They're sitting in front of me. The American people in poll after poll after poll after poll, they don't want to be told, go live your life. Got to be free. Open up your business. Take whatever precautions you can. We're not going to order you to do so because we don't think we have the authority. You just do you. Do you as best as you can do it. The American people didn't want to hear that. We are, what are we allowed to say here? What should I say here? On the back end of things? Is that too extreme? Does that sound too dour? I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but let's be frank. If you look at every empire in the history of the world, they rise and they fall, and one of the indicators you're on the downward swing is you get soft and scared. You get rich first, which we were and are, and with that wealth comes getting soft and scared. And we had a virus break out, a serious one. I'm not downplaying the virus. And the American people did not want to hear how they need to keep living while we're going to tackle the virus. The American people wanted to hear, please, daddy government, take care of me. Just, just tell me, daddy government, that I'll be safe and I'll do anything. That's the truth. That's the truth. You who want to be free, you who even if you agree with people locking down don't think the government has the authority to do so, you're in a minority now. You're not in the majority anymore in the United States of America. And we just have to swallow that jagged little pill. That's just the bottom line. This thing has been revealing for me. It's been extremely revealing. I don't know where we go from here. I know that there have been things people have tried in the past when it comes to those great empires to keep them on the rise, to remind them who they are. There was once this great Mongol leader, Khan, you would call him, not Genghis. It was a couple generations after him, and he was no longer on the Asian steppe. You know, it sucks up there. It's cold. It's bitter. He was down in some beautiful Chinese city, which they'd, of course, I'm sure slaughtered down to the last man not too long before. And he's in this beautiful castle, got everything he wants. He's, he's clothed in silk, women running everywhere, the best foods, he's got everything he needs. And you know what he did? He brought grass, a big patch of grass, ugly grass from the Asian steppe, and he had it put right in his castle. Why? So he could remember. And so he could remember to remind his people who they actually were. There's an old saying, I certainly didn't come up with it, that you wear wooden shoes on the way up the stairs and you wear silk slippers on the way down them? Maybe that's just where we are. Maybe we're silk slipper people. Because if you hear what Donald Trump's about to say, that's what he should have said from the beginning. And that's what you should have wanted him to say from the very beginning. But we didn't. Well, because we can't keep our country closed for the next five years. You know, you could say there might be a recurrence and there, there might be. And, you know, most
most doctors or some doctors say that it, it will happen and it'll be a flame and we're going to put the flame out. I'm not saying anything is perfect. And yes, will some people be affected? Yes. Will some people be affected badly? Yes. But we have to get our country open and we have to get it open soon. Yeah. And you know what? That's what we should have heard at the beginning of April. Let's just be honest. Stand up and give it to the people. And I don't want to hear about the media. I know what they're going to say. It's what they're already saying now. I mean, first of all, before we get to the media, because you can hear this line of questioning he was facing here, watch this. Don't you need to continue to meet with the task force to get this scientific expertise on the pandemic? We will have certain people, as an example, Uh, We have hospitals that we built. We have medical centers that we built. We have people on the task force that focused on that. We have people on the task force that's focused exclusively on ventilators. Well, we have more ventilators now than anybody in the world, and we're helping France, as you know. We're helping France, Italy, Spain, Nigeria. We're just, we're giving, I think, 250 to Nigeria. Uh, We have many countries that we're helping, but the ventilator problem is solved, so you don't need that. We have now a different, it's sort of a combination of safety and reopening. So we'll have something in a different form. But the task force for what we've done, uh, I think everybody out there, when they're being very honest, I think the job we've done on testing will shortly be, and maybe even supersede, Doug, the job that we've done on ventilators, which people can't even believe. So I think that as far as the task force, Mike Pence and the task force have done a great job, but we're now looking at a little bit of a different form. And that form is safety and opening, and we'll uh, we'll have a different group probably set up for that. Yes, yes. And the problem is, what he's doing, he has this coronavirus task force, and as you heard him lay out, we don't need some of these people anymore. We have enough of this, we have enough of that. But now he's going to face what we should have faced two months ago. We have a hostile press, a hostile press I'm sorry if this offends you. Actually, I take that back. I'm not sorry. A hostile press that would happily watch many of you die and would watch many of your livelihoods be completely wiped out if it meant defeating Donald Trump in the next election. Let's just be frank about that. It's the truth. Everyone knows it. Everyone has eyes can see it. And now they're going to take every step he takes, every step a Republican governor takes. You're seeing it in Georgia. You're seeing it in Florida. What are they doing? The guy opens up and immediately it's every headline. He opened up yesterday and we just had a thousand deaths. We just had 50 new deaths. I've heard they're going to peak now. Experts are saying this is going to be more deaths. Have you heard about the deaths? Are you feeling responsible for the deaths? And the task force. You can't let a single person go from the coronavirus task force. And it's going to be, I guess you don't care about people dying. Didn't you hear people are dying? People are dying all over the place. They're going to do everything they can in an effort to get Trump and get Republicans and they're going to hold us back even further. They suck. We know that. But the truth is, we paved that road for them. We did. As soon as we stood up, Republicans and Democrats stood up from the top to the bottom and told every American citizen, if you leave your house, you're going to die. If you leave your house, you're going to die. You want to kill grandma. We told them that for two months. And now we want them to get back to work. Now a lot of people aren't going to go back to work. On top of that, Congress passed a bill. We're paying people not to go back to work. Maybe we didn't think that through. All that may have made you very uncomfortable, but I'm still right. And if you get uncomfortable enough, you most likely cannot sleep at night. And I, I know what you're going through. I have been there before. You lay down at night. And you close your eyes and you're exhausted. And you know, and this is, this is the cruelest part, you know you need to get to sleep soon and you need to stay asleep or you're going to feel like crap the next day. So you lay down, you close your eyes, and your mind just starts whirling. And you can't stop it. And you're thinking about the day you had and the day you're going to have. And now you're thinking about the fact that you haven't fallen asleep yet and you really need to fall asleep. And oh crap, I'm not going to fall asleep and this is really going to stay. And then you're miserable. And then that compounds itself over and over and over again. And soon you're not even you anymore. You're just a shell of yourself. It's time to get an ebb sleep. Believe me. Believe me. It's time for you to get an ebb sleep. 
InevSleep is a wearable, drug-free solution that actually targets the thoughts in your mind. It provides cooling in your forehead area, calming those thoughts down, which will put you to sleep. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Use the promo code jesse. You get 25 bucks off the thing. Tryeb.com slash jesse. All right, I swear to you, on my life, we are going to have some laughs during this show. We are. It's going to be sunny. It's going to be fun. But I've got more bad news. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm basically the Grim Reaper. That's why I'm wearing black today. There is something coming out there, and I want you to do me a favor. We are going to have a little lesson tonight. You see... What we need as American people, what you need, what your kids need, what I need, what my kids need, we need to develop this independent spirit again where we think for ourselves. Not just what a politician says. Oh, oh okay, I'm sure. Not what an expert says. Not even what a doctor says. We think for ourselves. We hear what people are saying and we try to figure out what exactly they mean and what's coming next. And so I want you to watch two clips from two very different politicians, two different parties, Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi. They both had something to say about the potential of another stimulus bill. You know, just a lot of little money here and a little money there. Keep in mind, we're, we're going to be like $30 trillion in debt soon. I'm not making that number up. I want you to listen very closely to what Mitch McConnell says here, then we'll take a brief pause, and I want you to listen to Nancy Pelosi, and don't just take it at face value. Listen to what they're really saying and see if you come to the same conclusion I'm about to give you. Many people are asking for additional legislation. <clears throat> I think I can speak for our conference by saying we're not ruling that out, but we think we to take a pause here, do a good job of evaluating what we've already done, we want to measure its effectiveness on virtually a daily basis as we move forward. I'm not ruling in or ruling out anything except to say that if there is another bill that passes in the Senate, it will include the liability protection. Hmm. Not ruling anything out. If there's another bill. Hmm. All right. Part two of this is Nancy Pelosi. She had some things to try to say. I will refer to McConnell because he has said uh, that, um, and the president has endorsed that, uh, that we're not bailing out states for what they did. No, well, he referenced uh, Illinois. Illinois is a state that was taken down the, uh, I'm trying to find a euphemism for the word I want to use, a bad path uh, by a Republican governor, now rescued by Democratic Governor Pritzker, very proud of him. So when he says that, oh, we're not bearing up for past mistakes, listen, what we're saying is this is about the coronavirus. What did they spend? What are their outlays? What is their revenue loss because of the coronavirus? They know that. They'll come around on this. You know why? Democratic and Republican. Republican and Democratic governors need this. They're united in that. Same thing Got with it. mayors and county executives and the rest. Do you know what you should have heard from both of those interviews? Only one thing. You should have heard, I better hang on to my wallet because they're coming for you. And you could go ahead and write this down. Go ahead and record this, everybody. They're going to pass another bipartisan stimulus bill, bailout of the states. And sure, it'll have some business liability protection. And the states are going to get their pensions bailed out, pensions that were long underwater before coronavirus ever hit. And everybody's going to have their political goodies, right? You get a little of this and you get a little of that. And you know what really sucks the most? That when the day comes, not if anymore, I mean, look at, look at these numbers, people. When the day comes where you're lighting a fire with dollar bills because it's so worthless, you know, a scene we've seen several times throughout history, not one of these people will stand up and say, hey, that's kind of my fault. Not one of them. You know who else has kind of disappointed me throughout this process? People on the right. 
Republican pundits, not just politicians, pundits too, who've been screaming at you for years about freedom and liberty and the Constitution, God-given rights. Nobody can take it away. And a virus breaks out, and they all told you, shut up, peasant, go hide in your house, screw your small business. Oh, I remember who you are. I remember all of you very well. So when you have this salon owner in Dallas, this Shelley Luther, who opened up her salon against the rules, got herself arrested for it. She had a little Zoom thing, a little, everything has to be done, you know, remotely now, and the judge tried to scold her. Here's what the judge had to say to her. That you now see the error of your ways <coughs> and understand that the society cannot function where one's own belief in a concept of liberty permits you to flaunt your disdain for the rulings of duly elected officials. That you owe an apology to the elected officials whom you disrespect, disrespected by flagrantly ignoring and in one case defiling their orders, which you now know obviously apply to you. owe an apology to the officials you disrespected? If you'll excuse my French for a minute, who in the hell do you people think you are? Where do you think you are? This is the United States of America. You don't owe an apology to anybody. Not your mayor, not your governor, not your judge, not your congressman, not your senator, not the president. These people work for you. And they all think they're these little lords. And you know what? Unlike most of the pundits and politicians on the right, a Dallas salon owner had the guts to stand up and say, nah, I don't think I will. Proceed. Judge, I would like to say that I have much respect for this court and laws. And that I've never been, been in this position before. And it's not some place that I want to be, but I have to disagree with you, sir, when I when you say that I'm selfish, because feeding my kids is not selfish. I have hairstylists that are going hungry because they'd rather feed their kids. So, sir, if you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision. But I am not going to shut the salon. Maybe Shelley Luther should run for Senate. Maybe Shelley Luther should get her own show. I mean, at least she has a spine. All right, we got more. Hang on. Well, look, everybody knows my thoughts. There aren't that many great people actually fighting for us in Washington, D.C., but there are some. Don't ever let anybody convince you there aren't any. And our next guest is one of them, and I'm grateful to have him on the show, Representative Jim Banks from Indiana. Congressman, what in the world are we doing considering another stimulus bill? Let's just begin at the beginning here. Well, your, your uh, guess is as good as mine, but uh, this is what we've <laughs> come to expect from a Nancy Pelosi-led uh, majority in the House. Uh, we're still waiting um, uh, no longer patiently to be called back to Washington to get Congress back to work. We're begging Pelosi to call us back to work to open the Capitol and allow us to do our job. That's what our constituents expect us to do. But I can tell you at this point, sitting here from my office in Fort Wayne, Indiana, we're in the dark, just like you are, about when exactly that's going to happen. Uh, the American people expect us to go do our job and do what we can to get America back to work, get this economy rebuilt and back on the right track. That's not going to happen if Congress is uh, is restricted from the Capitol and unable to get our jobs done. How, what exactly is her justification for that? I mean, for those of us who don't have the inside baseball stuff on Congress, does she just send out a mass email saying, I'll see you in a month? How, how does she justify just taking off when everyone else is dying out here? Well, the, the, the obvious uh, fact of the matter is, is if she can um, leave all of us at home in our districts um, while she's in Washington, uh, she's, she's a one-man show. And that's how, she, um, that's how she's operating in the moment. She prefers uh, to, to have the entire House of Representatives and the power of the full House 
of representatives in her hands, and that's easier for her to control what the House will do if all of us are restricted from going to the Capitol. So fortunately, there are a few Republicans, like I, I talked to Kevin McCarthy last night, he's in the Capitol uh, keeping an eye on things, but the longer that Pelosi can keep us at bay and restrict us from coming to the Capitol, uh, the more she can run uh, Run, uh, run things uh, herself, and that's a that's a pretty dangerous uh, 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 that's a dangerous uh, calculation. I think all of us can agree. How she keeps such an iron grip on her party? It, it just seems bizarre to me that she's been able to keep such an iron grip on it for so long. There's nobody, nobody else up and coming in the Democrat Party who wanted to try to take her down. You would think that there would be. I mean, she's been around for a very long time, as you know. Um, that, and that, that's what it is. I mean, the, the, the rules in the Democrat Party are different than, than in the Republican Party. They, they don't have uh, term limits on leadership positions. Um, they, they give their leaders a lot more power than, than Republicans do. We, we decentralize our, uh, our power among, uh, among uh, committee leaders. But in their case, uh, Pelosi has a lot of power, and she's done a lot of favors for a lot of Democrats that have been around a lot longer um, as well. I mean, put, to put it into perspective, the average tenure of a Republican member of Congress is six to eight years, and the average on the Democrat side is twice as long. So they stick around longer, and they, they owe a lot of favors to uh, their leaders like Pelosi in the process. Curious about the garbage things that get thrown in a bill, even bills people have to vote for, bills people feel obligated to vote for, the CARES Act, whatever it may be. When, when you find out, you know, huge amounts of money get earmarked for Harvard, who doesn't need the money, what is the, who's the actual human being that puts that in there? We always get told that it shouldn't be in there, and everyone, when asked about it, acts mad. Who actually is the, a robot didn't do it, who put it in there? Yeah, well, uh, uh, clearly it's, the, it's those few who are at the table when they're negotiating a massive bill like these stimulus bills, who, who hold the power in their hands and, and ultimately place some of these egregious examples of special interest or pork barrel spending into a bill. I mean, the, uh, the great example recently was $25 million to the Kennedy Center in a bill that had nothing to do with anything but the, the COVID-19 response. Somebody should be held responsible for that. And I, I find that in my district, the more that my district hears about examples like the $25 million to the Kennedy Center Harvard uh, universities and uh, whose, whose endowment has billions of dollars they can take care of themselves. By the way, while small colleges in my district find out that they're not eligible for PPP, and then you find out that Harvard uh, is eligible or, or massive amounts of, of dollars to um, uh, NPR and, and other, um, other examples of, uh, of the, those types of, uh, uh, that type of spending, my, uh, my constituents are aghast. I mean, that, that is not what they, want to hear during a time of national crisis uh, that, that that's what's happening instead. So uh, who, who has the power to do that? It's those who have a seat at the table, which gets back to the point that I made a little bit ago. If, if Nancy Pelosi can force all of us to stay out of the Capitol, and she's the only one in the Capitol acting on behalf of the House, that gives her a, the ability that, she, that she's so hungry and thirsty for uh, to run things herself um, in a way that she has all the power in her own hands with with a with a complete lack of transparency, where she's you're going to see more of those examples in the future if that if that is allowed to last. Speaking with Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana, are you hearing people in your district? I know people are worried about unemployment. I know they're worried about coronavirus, and understandably so. Are you hearing anybody worried about the spending levels we're seeing? I'm hearing things like a four trillion dollar deficit, and I got to tell you, Congressman, I about fell out of my chair because a, a hyperinflation or deflation that that puts us in a whole new world of pain. No, no doubt about it. Uh, that's why Mike Johnson, the chairman of Republican Study Committee, and myself, I, I chair the budget and spending task force Republican study committee. And last week, we released a letter to Republican and Democrat House leadership and said enough is enough. Anything else that we do, any, any uh, uh, coronavirus related aid package or stimulus package must be offset with spending cuts elsewhere. I'm not naive enough to believe that the Speaker Pelosi is gonna listen to my uh, cries uh, to do that, but there is a growing uh, number of voices, uh, certainly among the, the Republican base throughout the country, but also in the House of Representatives who are, who are looking for 
um, exactly that. O offsets, um, and, and by the way, the Republican Study Committee put out a budget last year. I chaired the effort, and we provided $10 trillion in, in uh, examples of, of, of wasteful government spending where we can, we can pull offsets from that, make cuts there to pay for um, any package, any relief packages that we pass in the future. It's very, it's very easy to do. It just takes the political courage for members of Congress to do the right thing to do that. Um, I, I, I'm not, I'm not naive, naive enough to believe that, Pel that Pelosi is going to head down that path. But there is a growing um, uh, appetite, I believe, in a bipartisan fashion for Republicans and Democrats to come together in the House and offer some budget or spending reforms that might uh, create some longer term uh, uh, changes that can allow us to head back to the path that we need to get down to, to advocate for um, uh, addressing the debt and deficits. But to your point, I mean, think about this. We started the year with, with uh, $24 trillion in national debt. We're gonna end the year closer to $30 trillion in national debt with $4 trillion deficit just this year alone. Um, no doubt this is a time of national crisis and we need to address the crisis of the moment. But uh, my daughter's generation, my daughters are 10, 8, and 6. They're going to bear the brunt of the lack of leadership today that doesn't address that uh, for their economy of tomorrow that's going to take a, uh, really take a hit if we don't do, a, do something about it immediately. Congressman, thank you so much for your time today. Great to be with you. $30 trillion. Can you Ouch. believe it? <laughs> oh, man. Thank you, sir. All right, y'all, we're going to brighten the mood. We'll be back. We are not going to spend forever on this today. I just want to motor through this really quickly. Democrats are in a race against time right now. Now, I know what you're saying. Jesse, you said Trump is in trouble because of the economy he is. I believe that. But here's the deal. If you believe, as I do, and as I believe any honest person can believes at this point, Joe Biden mentally is not doing well. I don't know what that is, but let's just say it's not a common cold. And people throw out things like dementia and Alzheimer's and senility. I don't know the answers to these questions. I'm not qualified to give that. I know that that is a man degenerating before our eyes, though. I know that. I, I do have eyes. I've been watching politics for long enough now. That's not the Joe Biden who was vice president under, under President Barack Obama. It's just not. He's not doing well. And now he has a scandal. And now he has to try to deal with this scandal. At the same time, he should be getting relaxing care for the remainder of his days. So he has that stress on top of everything else. I mean, first of all, look at this response that he gave to Morning Joe about the assault allegations he's facing. Why limit this only to Tara Reid? Why not release any complaints that it may, had been made against you during your Senate career? I'm prepared to do that. There, the best of my knowledge, there's been no complaints made up against me in terms of my Senate career, in terms of my office, and anything that's been run. Look, this is an open book. There's nothing for me to hide. Nothing at all. Approve a search of her name. Yes, and reveal uh, anything not... that might be related to Tara Reid in the University of Delaware records. There is nothing. They wouldn't, they're, they're not there. And if they had, if it's, I, 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 you know, I don't understand what you're, the point you're trying to make. The point there I'm trying no to make is that you by are, definition. I'm, I'm just talking about her name, not anybody else in those records. A search for that. That was tough to watch. All right. Before I, before I get to the race against time, let's just be honest. That wasn't any kind of an answer. That was Joe Biden doing what he's really, really lamely done since the beginning of this campaign. And every time he was asked about the Hunter Biden stuff, it was really weird of, Joe, how do you explain Hunter Biden getting this job he wasn't qualified for while you were vice president, a job that paid $50,000 a month? And his response was, honestly, it was still the oddest thing. I can't believe more people aren't talking about it. His response to every person was, well, who said he did anything wrong? No one said he did anything wrong. Well, Joe, everybody, everybody's saying he did something wrong. Nobody said he did anything wrong. <laughs> and now we're getting this same kind of thing here. Well, what? I don't. There's nothing. Who said there's anything? There's never been a complaint. Well, what are you talking about? She's making the complaint. No one ever said there's a complaint. <laughs> it's very weird. And so he's not answering it again. Nancy Pelosi, though, says, 
he's fine. Uh, Joe Biden speaking out just days ago on that uh, allegation of a sexual assault. Uh, now that he has given that answer, do you view this uh, as a closed issue, or what is your response? Well, it is for me. Uh, I have said I am proud to support Joe Biden for president. Uh, I believe him when he says it didn't happen. Uh, but I also believe him when he says, let them in, uh, look into the records. Uh, and that's what they should do. But I'm not going to answer this question again. Uh, I, I will just say I have every confidence uh, that Joe Biden will be a great president of the United States. Yeah. Here's their race against time. They need Joe Biden not to get to November. They need Joe Biden to still be lucid when it comes time for debates. Because right now what they have is they can hide him. Now, they're doing a poor job of hiding him. He's in such bad shape, he can't even relax all day and get up for a five-minute interview from his living room and be functional. But Joe Biden, when it comes to debate time, even though I've long believed they're going to try to hide him for that too, they'll try to claim some kind of coronavirus danger and have him do it from home where someone will be back there with cue cards. Joe, blink! You know, that kind of a thing. I believe they'll try, but even that's going to look bad. They have to get through that before Joe Biden loses it completely. And if you're a Democrat power broker right now, you know it. You're watching. They're not blind. They can see they need Joe Biden to hold it together long enough. And all they can do now is cross their fingers. I guess we'll find out. Oh, in case you were wondering, Nancy Pelosi, she always, always stands on the side of the person fighting the accusations, right? There is also due process. And uh, the fact that Joe Biden is Joe Biden. There is an allegation made against a person. An allegation, as I said before, that has lifetime impact on a person to be violated in that way. By a person who wants a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court. Uh, we, there's been s statements from his campaign, or not his campaign, but his former employees who ran his offices and the rest, that there was never any record of this. Instead of asking questions, the Republican leadership hears the truth. There was never any record. And that uh, nobody ever came forward or nobody... Really? They're so afraid of the truth, and they're so afraid of women... Dr. Christine Blasey Ford for the truth that she will tell. I am so proud. The happiest day for me this week was to support Joe Biden for President of the United States. How about that? Coming up next, senior poli uh, policy analyst for Independent Women's Forum, Inez Stepman. Hang on. Joining me now, senior policy analyst for the Independent Women's Forum, because we need smart people on occasion on this show, Inez Stepman. Inez, first of all, what is the Independent Women's Forum? Um, the Independent Women's Forum is a group, as it sounds, of uh, independent women. Um, we work on a variety of policy issues, so our perspective is that all issues are women's issues, so you won't find us only focusing on like a handful of issues the left says are quote-unquote women's issues so we work on foreign policy on economics um i i work on mostly education k-12 and higher ed policy issues and our goal is to uh, advance solutions that actually uh help provide opportunity and freedom on the ground rather than just sounding good or making people feel good about themselves so that's who we are speaking of freedom and issues like that the university system, you and I are, well, mostly in agreement on the disastrous state of it. My solution for it is a bit more extreme than yours. I'd like to fire every professor and burn all the buildings to the ground. You're a bit more reasoned in your approach. Is this the this coronavirus thing, the economic disaster thing? I'm seeing su students suing universities. Universities, many of them are going to be in trouble, maybe not the right ones that should be in trouble. What does this look like coming out the back end for our American communist university system? Um, so, so first of all, in order to answer that question, uh, I want to go back and, and point out that the entire business model on which universities have operated for the last several decades is taxpayer money. 
right? So it's our taxpayer-backed student loans. That's why we have $1.7 trillion in outstanding student loans floating around. These are taxpayer-backed loans, and ultimately the taxpayer holds the dance card for all of that money, um, which has been pushing university tuition up over time, right? Because all that, that free money, you can't Imagine if you had to walk into Wells Fargo and say, I want to borrow $150,000 because I want to study queer feminist literature at, you know, a 2000 ranked um, university, they, the, the, the Wells Fargo or Bank of America, they're going to say no, right? They're, they're going to say, you're never going to be able to pay back that money. Well, but the federal government will loan that money um, to, to anyone at the age of 18, right? So that's the system we have been operating under. And then but, but that money is tied to the students. And if there's a big drop off in enrollment, which there likely will be, especially if universities don't actually open up on campus in the fall, but even if they do, uh, there's gonna be a huge drop off in, of an enrollment and all that free money that was rolling into the university coffers that bankrolls their entire system dries up. So that's why you're gonna see a lot of universities um, taking a, a huge financial hit um, and I say that they'll be they'll be asking for a bailout, and I say we, we really shouldn't give it to them. Let that that sector contract as it should. It's a it, it's a bubble financed by the taxpayers anyway. They're not fulfilling their promises to the American public in a whole variety of ways. We should let some universities close. And as you can call me a cynic, I can't believe anybody would accuse me of being such a thing. But all I just heard you say there is Republicans are going to bow and lick the boots of Democrats once again and pass a big fat university bailout bill, thus ensuring their own demise one day. Am I wrong? Uh, I hope you're wrong, but I, I share some of your cynicism, especially since the, in the CARES Act. They've already included $14 billion in aid to universities, right? So that's what that huge, um, you know, dust up over Harvard taking $9 million. It wasn't from the PPP. They didn't even, it's actually worse. They didn't even have to apply for that Paycheck Protection um, Program for small businesses, right? They didn't have to scrounge and, and, and compete alongside all of the moms and pops who are, are struggling right now. Uh, they actually had a special carve out. They got their, their check straight up. They didn't have to apply for that program. Um, so, so that was in the first coronavirus relief bailout. Uh, I, I suspect that there will be a second round and universities and, and organizations representing universities say they need $50 billion in this one in order to, to keep the sector open and operating. I, I say the sector shouldn't fully stay open and operating. We have many, many more universities and colleges in this country um, than any other, um, any other country. We have all these, these universities operating on essentially has been a free cash model that has been bad for students and borrowers. It's been bad for people with high school degrees because it's, it's forced a sort of credentialing treadmill where many more jobs now require a bachelor's that didn't used to. Um, and it's bad for the taxpayer and it's bad for the country because it allows these universities to endlessly expand all of these studies departments and hire, you know, six figure diversity coordinators and, and other um, kind of administrative jobs. It allows, it finances all of that stuff. Um, and so I, I think it would be good for the country to, to, to actually have the university sector right size itself. And as on a, on a more practical level, would they actually contract? Would they, let's say, by a miracle from God, a Republican actually finds their lower intestinal fortitude and chooses not to bail out something for the first time in the history of mankind? Does a university actually close? Do they shut the doors and nail the windows and we're not doing this anymore? Or is it just a massive money shift like it seems so many other industries do? I, I do legitimately think if there is no bailout, we will see university closures. Um, there, there are a lot, they, it won't be Yale, it won't be Harvard, it won't be some of these universities with billions of dollars in their endowment funds, which of course, you know, begs the question why we're, we're funding any taxpayer-backed loans at, at institutions that have, um, you know, a, a fund sitting there that's larger than some small countries. Um, so, but but that's, that's another story. Um, it won't be Harvard and Yale that close, but, but I do think we'll see university closures if there is no bailout, because again, that, that gravy train is all connected to students. And if, if a certain percentage of students make the decision um, that they, they are gonna take a gap year, for example, because of, of the coronavirus um, and attendant uh, pandemic you know, situation that we find ourselves in right now, if, if 10, 20, 30% of students decide not to enroll as freshmen in the fall or not to continue or to take a break from university, we will see universities close if they're not bailed out. And, 
Inez, did you take a gap year to go backpacking through Europe wearing hemp clothes or something, or did you just dive right into school? I think I already know the answer. I, I went straight on to, to undergraduate, but I did I did take several years to work in between undergraduate and law school, um, which I, I actually, I think gap years in working are probably a, a really good um, plan for a lot of students. Uh, it, there's no need to, to rush directly in, and oftentimes people who, who enter university later um, or with, with different life experiences or after, for example, serving in the military, as, as a lot of, of people do, um, then go back on the GI Bill, those students tend to take you know, more serious classes. They tend to take the whole um, system much more seriously than a lot of 18-year-olds who are essentially going to university to party, which, look, it's fun to party, but it's, a, it's an expensive party, man, when it's $50,000 a year. As somebody who got a 0.0, .0 grade point average his first semester of college, let me just echo Inez's statement. It is a very expensive party. And as communism in our universities, more than just the normal professor left-wing nut jobs, we actually have professors at Harvard <laughs> that are turning out to be Chinese. We have this dust-up at the University of Texas. Um, do we have an actual communist China problem in our university system? Uh, we, we do not just in the universities, but in, in a lot of institutions. I mean, I, I think we would be foolish to imagine that the Chinese don't have various uh, spies and people interacting. But I, I'm actually less worried about the spies and more worried about the fact that there are so many useful idiots who seem to uh, go along with the Chinese Communist Party's propaganda on the coronavirus and on a whole host of other issues. There have been some really disturbing pieces published, for example, in The Atlantic that that say this is the, this is the end of the American century. The Chinese did so much better with this virus than we did. Uh, that's like straight from the the you know playbook of the CCP. Uh, so I, I'm even though I do think it's a problem, and I think we should be looking at at uh, taking uh, Confucius Institutes, which is what you're referring to. Confucius Institutes are are uh, on a lot of American university campuses. They teach Chinese language. Uh, Mandarin, um, and they uh, also teach some things about, about the history and culture of China. Now, that's theoretically fine. You know, we need, especially if we're going into a new Cold War, we, we need people who are experts in, in the language and culture of the Chinese. But what we don't need is a bunch of CCTP, CCP, um, Freudian slip there, I guess, the, the, the old CCCP in, in uh, the USSR. But um, the, we don't need communist-approved uh, uh, professors teaching um, for example, that Tiananmen Square has some nice architecture, and, and that's what it's known for um, in American universities, and that, that's, that's what's happening right now. Jeez. And as Stepman, thank you so much for giving us some time today. Thanks for having me, Jesse. It's good to see you. You too. All right. It's murder hornet time, baby. Hang on. Maybe you haven't heard, but there's something out there called the Asian murder hornet. I didn't make that up. I guess it's this two-inch long hornet that came, I guess killed like 50 people in Japan last year, and now it's in Washington, the state. It'd be kind of cool if it was in D.C. Anyway, it's in Washington, the state, and it's murdering honeybees, and it like saws off their head with these huge jaws. It's awesome. I mean, it's horrifying, but it's also awesome. And there's this certified lunatic out there named Coyote Peterson. He has a YouTube channel. I'm warning you, if you start watching it, you'll never be able to stop. This guy's awesome. He lets all these horrible bugs that have these horrible stings sting him, and he films the reaction. And, of course, he did this with the Asian murder hornet. So without further ado, here's what you can look forward to if one of these gets a hold of you. All right, you guys ready? Ready if you are. I'm Coyote Peterson, and I'm about to enter the sting zone with the Japanese giant hornet. One, two, here we go, three. Ah! Oh, this thing just stuck in my arm. Oh! How bad is it? Oh man, wave of dizziness really quick. Ah! Oh! Oh! Searing pain! Absolute searing pain! There's where the stinger went in right there. Did you not see how slow this sting was? Oh! I see blood. Ah! Oh my gosh! That was awesome. <laughs> right? 
All right. You know what? I can't promise you we're not going to have another Coyote Peterson video tomorrow. <laughs> I'll see you then. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. Uh, these stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE. Or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man who was called Mal Evans, who was on roadie, and uh, <clears throat> I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Salt and pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.